This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. A great Brazilian team. one of the biggest sporting events in the world. And today, we're giving you an inside look at the teams and playoff pictures to date. As we present Atlanta Soccer Tonight. It's okay now. The goalkeeper's beaten. And South Africa have their first goal. Listen as Jason Longshore gives you all the latest in the world of soccer. As we break down the matchups and get you insights you can only find here. Atlanta Soccer Tonight is on. Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. Here's Jason Longshore. Let's kick it. Atlanta Soccer Tonight, live on 92.9, The Game and the Odyssey app. Thanks for hanging out with us after Hawks basketball. I'm Jason Longshore alongside Jessica Charman. And Jess, I've got a simple question for you to start the show. Did we see the 2022 World Cup champions play this afternoon? You put me on the spot. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's who I had at the start of the tournament, and I'm starting to feel a lot better about that pick. I know we spoke about feeling like my head was for Brazil, my heart was for Argentina because of the Messi story and because of the fact that they had a lot to overcome. This was their year, but having seen Brazil on the pitch today, having seen the flair, the individuality, the silkiness, the variety of goals, the quality, the fact they're able to overcome some adversity with their selection choices, seeing Neymar back in fantastic shape and form, no sign of that real knock. I have to think that that Brazil selection is looking more and more uh, obvious right now, unless there's a bigger upset during the next couple of games of the tournament. Business is about to pick up for them. I mean, let's let's face it, too, to to play the other side of this with Brazil. They haven't faced the toughest of competition yet. Switzerland has been, I, I think, very solid in the tournament. They came out of that group second. Uh, the Cameroon game, it's a wash. Brazil rotated their lineup. Mm-hmm. But we're, that's what we're seeing in this tournament is it's in a different time of the year. And teams, I think, are looking for opportunities to rest and rotate more than ever before. Uh, Serbia was a little bit of a disappointment in, in that group. South Korea was the team coming in on very short rest after having to do what they did in the end of the game against Portugal just mm-hmm. to get here. I think they went, they came in with a great approach. They didn't come in to sit and defend. They came out and tried to go toe to toe with the Brazilians, which is dangerous because you end up 2 0 down after 12 minutes. And that's kind of a problem. But Croatia's the next opponent for Brazil. You're talking about the runners up in 2018, who is pretty much the same team from 2018, and it's four years later. That's a concern. But it's ramping up for Brazil. That's the one thing I'll say about Brazil in terms of are they odds-on favorites to win this. They haven't faced some of the competition that some other teams have. No, I would tend to agree with you. And we talk about that when it comes to tournaments a lot, that sometimes if you have too easy, quote-unquote, of a run through your group stages, maybe you pass through a game too easily, you haven't faced the challenges that you need to get battle-tested, to get confident, to get your team up to the best of its ability. It's almost like a youth team, right? If you have a bunch of kids that are winning every game 10-0, are they really developing? Are they really going to be able to find the form once they face a tougher opponent? No. So I think it's interesting. I'd also say the fact that they weren't able to keep a clean sheet today. Yes, worldy, worldy goal, unsavable. But the fact you've given up opportunities, the fact that Allison still had to make three pretty high quality saves shows that they're not invincible defensively. And if they come up against a team with more firepower up top, perhaps they concede early 
then they're going to find themselves in a struggle in terms of a battle that maybe they haven't faced during the rest of the tournament so far. Yeah, that's that's what I'm waiting to see from Brazil. If they fall behind, what does it look like? Do they start to get anxious? Do they start to feel the the weight of that shirt and the expectations that everybody has for Brazil? We don't know yet. We're just going to have to to wait and see. I don't know if Croatia can really test them in that way. They might not get that test until the semifinal. They might not. And Go back to 2014 where they were hosting the tournament and they had some tests. They had to get through a penalty shootout in the round of 16. But when that adversity really hit them, they crumbled. This is a better team. And I think this is a team under Chichi that that has a different level of structure than any Brazilian team that we've seen. And I think a different level of talent, to be honest, than, than we've seen from a Brazilian team in a long time. But can they handle that stress? Can they handle that adversity? We're going to find out. We're going to find out a little bit later, but they didn't really have to do that today. You get an early goal like the one from Vinny Jr., Vinicius. That's such a tough goal, that first one, and that set the tone because so many times in that situation, ball falls to you on the back post, the goalkeeper's out of position, you just lash the thing at the goal. But he kind of waited and waited and waited another half second until it opened up and he placed it in a spot that nobody could keep it out. No, it was a very mature finish. It was a very smart finish to settle it with a really good first touch. And then, like you say, wait, there were four, I think, South Korea players charging at him on the line between him and the goal. And he still managed to find that back post spot where no one else was going to be able to prevent it. Like you say, sometimes that one comes up at you at a forward and you your eyes are lit up. You're thinking about your goal celebration and you just smash it and you smash it into row Z. This was a very composed, mature finish early on in the game. And I thought that that from the moment of that goal, I'm not going to lie. I just had this horrible feeling it was going to be a really long day for South Korea. I just love that you've dropped a row Z on a 92.9 the game now. This is great. <laughs> I had to make sure that I, I shouted out my home hometown, you know, with, with the pronunciation as well. <laughs> That's one that they that's probably never been said on this radio station. It's amazing. I love this. Um, the second goal. So it's a penalty. It's a, I don't even know if I'd say it's a controversial decision. Um, it's a penalty where the attacker steps in front of the defender as they're trying to clear it. They're already in motion to try to clear. They make contact with the attacker. Uh, Richarlison made a lot of it. That's always given. I don't love it, but it's always given as a penalty. Yeah, it's one where you look at it and you hate it for the defender because it's impossible to avoid, right? He's already started swinging his leg. Uh, Richardson skips in front, does well, does what every forward should do and anticipates, gets the touch ahead, goes down like a ton of bricks, as also you might expect. Let's be completely honest here, but it's always going to be a foul. You have no other option. His heels are clipped. He goes down and... It was. Uh, I was surprised he didn't want to take it. He had the ball in his hands, but Neymar had something to say about that, right? No, I, it was all set up from the beginning. Neymar was always going to take the penalty, and I, I don't think South Korea is the team that's going to make it difficult for the penalty taker. You didn't see anybody uh, pulling what Uruguay tried to pull with like scuffing up the penalty spot and getting in people's faces. You didn't see any of that. Uh, but a lot of teams are starting to do this where somebody will grab the ball. They're basically a diversion. The taker will then come up and get the ball when everybody is set. So you can't have somebody get up in the guy who's going to take the penalty, get in their face, trash talk them, say horrible things, get play mind games. You can't do any of that when teams do this. So Neymar is going to take the penalty. That's already decided. He takes it in a very interesting way. And the goalkeeper approached it in a very interesting way. Um, he starts way over on the right side and then gets in the middle. And it's almost like the wobbly knees kind of thing where you I did that know. technique as a kid. I'm not kidding you? you. I My dad showed me a video of it a long time ago. And I think I tried it a couple of times at U10. And it used to work at U10 because the kids would be so psyched out about the fact yeah. you see all this space one side, you see the big goal, and then you move. I don't think I'd have the... Um, the, the guts to try it on the world stage because you do look like a bit of an idiot when you get it wrong. But mentally, I do think it can be a real challenge. We saw it with Australia's keeper um, in the playoffs to get to the yeah. World Cup where it was effective as much as he got a lot of stick at first. And I think Neymar 
just about managed to win the Battle of the Mind Games, but it wasn't too far off with his stutter step and movement across the line that the goalkeeper was able to almost get there. Yeah, I mean, it was like a staring competition between these two, and the goalkeeper is kind of going to either side, trying to wait it out, trying as hard as he can to wait out Neymar's slow approach, and he just gets caught leaning to his right, and Neymar just pushes it to the left, not with power, just pushes it in. It's 2-0 at that point. South Korea kept trying to fight, but the third goal for Brazil, one of the best goals of this tournament. And it's not it's not a blast from outside the box. It's not some of the others that are in this competition. It's not the acrobatics of Richarlison. But he gets this one with the juggling act and then the just perfect combination play to slip into the 18. It's a gorgeous goal. I think I watched it back like five times, just admiring the fact that the control, the fact that he had the initiative to head it to himself three times, find a link-up pass, and then make that run. It's the run that he makes inside and gets the ball split through two defenders. It's not an easy ball to control even, but he's able to control it with such class, such silk, and find the finish. It's a beautiful link-up goal, and I think it just shows that goal was kind of... Uh, the the demonstration of what Brazil can do in this tournament when they have the chemistry, when they have the link-up play, it's impossible to follow. And it also just showed that individual skill and quick thinking of the Brazilian players as well. They added a fourth before halftime came up. So it's 4-0 at halftime. There were four fairly elaborate dancing sequences from the Brazilians celebrating their goals. Even the manager, Chichi, got involved in one of them, which was amazing. <laughs> one of the moments of the tournament for me. However, there are some folks out there, and we'll give equal time here, that do not like the dancing, that, that do not like all of the uh, sequenced dancing and, and routines, and these are things they've worked on, maybe some practices going into this. Do you have a problem with it? I think I'd see the devil if I was a player on the opposing team. I'm not going to lie to you, but it's part of the game, right? You, you have to accept that the nature of the beast is you're going to have days where you're getting to celebrate and you're getting to have that smile on your face and you're going to have days where things don't go your way. I think it's part of the Brazilian culture, right? A lot of Latin American culture involves the dancing, involves the showmanship, involves the celebrations. We've seen Brazilian players through the ages going and dancing and celebrating with their fans and I just think that if you're going to do it, you've got to take it when it comes back at you. And let's just say they slip up down the road and there's a team that wants to dance in their corner flag. They're going to have to feel very much okay with that fact coming back to bite them. But I think you're a professional soccer player. These players can handle it. You saw it like you're playing at the highest level. You're playing in a World Cup. If it hurts your feelings, you don't belong here. And I don't think the players on South Korea were bothered by it. I think it's people that are watching from the outside on their sofas that are being offended on their behalf. And so uh, I, I think they don't really have a leg to stand on, do they? No, I think it's ridiculous. I think the, the, the pearl clutching about it, and this comes up in any sport when you have players celebrating in a very drawn out way. Um, it's ridiculous. And and look, if you're a fan of the game, you're going to remember from not that long ago, earlier this season, some uh, racist comments being made about Vinny Jr., Vinicius, in Spain, dancing after goals. And it became a very big talking point around the world. I think that plays into this. I think Brazil mm -hmm. is backing up Vinny and backing up you know, their right to celebrate these moments and saying that you can't use these as a way to denigrate us and denigrate our soccer and our culture. It's ridiculous. Um, don't let them score. Like, it, it's the simple thing. You got a problem with it, don't let them score. But yeah, you're 100% you're right. When you do this stuff, you better back it up because I don't have a problem with a team if... They don't. They have an issue with Lucas Paqueta celebrating after the fourth goal. I don't have a problem with a team going in studs up on him the next tackle they get. They're going to have to deal with the referee, 
They're going to get the right, exact, that's part of the game, right? You put a target on your back. It's the same if you're talking trash to an opponent. You know, Mm -hmm. if you want to try and play those head games, take that risk, talk some trash, you're going to put an X on the back. And I don't even think it's just in this game that they put an X on their back, right? Right. There's going to be a lot of teams watching this now that are extra motivated. Croatia aren't going to want to concede. They're not going to want to let them dance. No, Croatia's already one who was fired back on a trash talking earlier in this tournament. So maybe they're not the ones to mess with. (laughs) There may be no dancing in the next game if Croatia has anything to say about it. They're going to try. Croatia, we'll get into them in the next segment. They uh, did what they've been doing in extending games to penalties and finding a way through. Uh, let's let's finish up on South Korea before the segment comes to an end. Paulo Bento, their manager, Portuguese manager, stepped down after the loss. He said it had already been in motion for him to leave at the end of the tournament. Um He was sad for the result. He's been happy with the growth in Korean football. I thought the way that they tried to play today was a credit to what he's built. They tried to play. They didn't just pack it in and hope. Even after the two goals, they forced a big save from Allison. They they fought in the group stage. They got out of that group, which was a definite fight to do it. So... Full credit to what Korea accomplished in this tournament. But when you run into the buzzsaw that is Brazil, you've got to be almost perfect if you're at the level of South Korea. And they weren't today. No, uh, I thought it was a brave performance. Honestly, it was a dignified performance as well. I think they left everything on the pitch. Mm -hmm. And I think you saw the improvement in the second half. Obviously, there was rotation involved in that on the Brazil side, maybe taking their foot off the gas. But they they didn't give up. They got their goal, uh, an amazing goal. And I think they deserved that goal because, like you said, they had moments in that game where they really put Brazil under pressure. There are a few defensive errors from the Brazilians that could have been punished even higher. So they can hold their heads up high, which is hard to say right now when you're coming off a huge defeat and disappointment. But I think when they look back at it, they'll be proud of how they performed during this World Cup as a whole. 100%. Uh, One more thing on Neymar and and coming back and getting a goal today. He became the third Brazilian player in history to score in three different World Cups. The first two, Pelé and Ronaldo. Pretty good company. Both of those guys also have won this competition. Neymar has not yet. But it's looking like Brazil is in pole position to win this World Cup. We're going to get into their opponents in the quarterfinals. The team that got to the final in 2018, Croatia. We're going to tell you how they got here in five minutes. Come back with us on Atlanta Soccer tonight on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Back to more of Atlanta Soccer Tonight with Jason Longshore on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Welcome back, Atlanta Soccer Tonight, live on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app. I'm Jason Longshore. Hanging out with Jessica Charman, breaking down everything from the World Cup on a nightly basis throughout the tournament. Yes, we're actually going to get our first night off tomorrow 
as we'll get a break on Wednesday. Sorry, I, don't I was going to say tomorrow. I, I don't know what day tomorrow. it is anymore. It's all been running together. I feel like I'm losing my mind with this tournament. But we're going to get a little bit of a break on Wednesday. We'll be back on Thursday to set up the first day of the quarterfinals. We know who Brazil's opponent is going to be. It's going to be Croatia. Probably shouldn't be surprised by that. They got to the final in 2018. They are an older team. They won the Battle of the Olds with Belgium, or at least they didn't lose it to get knocked out. But Croatia surviving extra time and penalties, that's just kind of how they roll. Seven of their last eight knockout matches at major tournaments have gone to extra time. The only one that didn't was the 2018 World Cup final. Goalkeeper was the hero. Dominic Livakovic was the hero in the shootout, kind of. He made one big save, two maybe more pedestrian saves. The Japanese penalty takers did not look entirely comfortable, and they bow out at this stage. Yeah, it was one of those games that Japanese are going to look back at and wish they'd been able to put it to bed with the momentum that they had in moments. I thought they came out really sharp. They looked dangerous every time they crossed the ball in. They were more attacking, more threatening consistently than maybe we've seen them. We talked a lot about across their tournament how they could be threatening in moments, but it felt like they chose more moments to be on the front foot in this game. Croatia, though, are the experts in these moments, like you say, Jason, and maybe they don't want to continue to be the experts in these moments at the stage of their career being an aging side, but you know, somehow they get it done. Somehow they have the legs in them. They are able to rotate their bench. They brought up, took off Modric, which I think had a lot of people surprised, but it was a gamble that took off in terms of making it to the penalty shootout. And as you foreshadowed a little bit, once it got to the penalty shootout, I think the, experience in these moments from Croatia shine through with the composure that they had from the penalty spot only obviously having one miss hitting the post the Japanese it, it was a very unfamiliar situation perhaps for a lot of these players and I think anytime someone steps up to take a penalty you give them a lot of credit it takes bravery it takes mm -hmm. you know a big gamble uh, unfortunately they may have had the bravery to step up and select themselves but they weren't able to find the level of penalty that maybe you expect at the World Cup. I think it was it was disappointing that they weren't striking the ball convincingly. And for me, I'd almost rather see someone come up and rock it over the crossbar, trying to put their foot through it, instead of looking like they hadn't made their mind up and were caught between two minds and basically tapping it into the goalkeeper. I'm curious as to how much they thought about and worked on penalties coming into this game. Uh, Spain, for example, Luis Enrique, he said after they lost in the uh, Euros to Italy on penalties, that he challenged all of his players to take a thousand penalties before getting to the World Cup. He's like, I hope don't, England don't is doing the here. same. I really hope England are doing the same, Jason. You, but some coaches think about it differently. Some coaches are like, I don't want to put that pressure on my players ahead of time. Uh, you know, it, it's more about the moment rather than preparation. You can't replicate the, the pressure. I get it, but I do think you have to have a go-to in these moments. And, and I don't think enough of the Japanese players looked like they, they did. They, they didn't look comfortable. They didn't look like they had done this repeatedly. Because if you get to the point where it is that repetition thing and you know maybe what your number one option is and what your number two mm -hmm. is. Um, especially if you take a lot of penalties, I think you do have to have a backup solution yeah, because yeah. goalkeepers are scouting you. On but you got to have that one. Go ahead. Yeah, I, th I think they do. And I think the issue was the first penalty sort of set the tone. And when your first yeah. penalty kick taker comes up, who's meant to be your most confident, who's meant to be the one to set the tone. And you've already got the advantage, right? Every team wants to have that first penalty to set the pressure on their opponent. And when your first penalty taker misses, you lose that advantage. You swing more pressure onto your other team. And it just felt like after that penalty, the destiny was really written. Every player that stepped up looked nervous by the one guy that scored. And I think that they're going to regret maybe not practicing these moments. But I do want to say that you can never replicate these moments fully in a practice. You know, no. you can try and create some pressure. You can try and create some mind games, but you're never going to be having that long walk from the center circle, that lonely long walk with so much on your shoulders. And I think that heart breaks for Japan because that was such a tough pill to swallow after what I thought was a really good gutsy performance to stay in the game.
since you can't replicate that stuff, that's why I think the repetition and, and a little bit of muscle memory is what's mm-hmm. important there to at least have something to fall back on. The other thing that comes up in these moments, and I'm sure we're going to have more as this tournament goes on, what do you feel more comfortable with? Taking the penalty first or taking it second if you get the choice? I would take it first all day long. I, I would. I would say that I want my strikers, I want, particularly as a keeper, I want to trust my teammates to finish. And then if I'm able to make a save, then they know it's within their hands, you know? And that's all you ask for a goalkeeper, right? I heard some pundits saying, oh, well, you want your goalkeeper to save two. No. <laughs> no the goalkeeper's one, responsibility is to save one. And yeah. then you best hope that your team is able to score five penalties because at the end of the day, it's definitely the forward that should be at the advantage in these situations. So yeah, I would always say I want to have the first penalty and make sure you're picking your best penalty taker because I know there's theories about where to put your best Mm -hmm. penalty kick taker. But if you have that first kick, you need to make sure it's someone that's 100% going to score because otherwise, like I say, you've lost all that advantage and now the positive mental attitude is with your opponent. Yeah, the, the old school way was you wanted your best kicker fifth. I want either my best or my second best first. Mm-hmm. And, and I want the other one fourth in case it doesn't get it doesn't to even five. get to five half the time yeah. anymore. <laughs> I, I I rank it that way. And and first or fourth, it really depends maybe a little on the personality. Um, but I want my first two, my best two kickers, first and fourth. And then I'll go really in order of second, third, and fifth. And, and okay, Jason, I got one. a question for you about this then. Yeah. What about you think the players should be able to make the full decision or do you think the coach should step up? Let's say that you've got three young, like what happened with England, right? You have young, young players mm-hmm. that think they want to take a penalty. Do you let them, even if you're not 100% sure you want them to have that pressure? Depends on your team. You have to understand, I think, the mentality of your group. And if it's better for them to feel like they're in control of that moment Okay, I'll let them. And a young team, you're probably going to lean in that direction. But if I'm not sure, then that's something I am absolutely going to work on and talk about in training sessions beforehand to try to, in some ways, take it out of their hands. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, I think you have to you have to understand the mentality of your group in these situations, because penalties are a lot of mentality. I think there is a muscle memory to it. I think there is a, a, an actual technique to it, but it's a lot of mentality. And you're right. So much of it is confidence. So much of it is belief. So much of it's being able to handle the pressure. And I'm not going to lie. There were times where I had teammates who were by far the best strikers of the ball on the team, best strikers. You knew they'd be able to bear it from 12 yards. They didn't have the belief and they wouldn't take a penalty. And it, that just shows how sometimes it's not about the talent or the ability to score from 12 yards. It's the willingness to to put yourself up there, to, to take the risk. And I think that's why you have to praise the players that missed, even though it was some of the worst penalties you're ever going to see at this level. You still have to have a lot of respect for the guys that stepped up to take it, because I'm not sure if I would be one of the people that would be willing to put my neck on the line like that, if I'm completely honest. It's not for everybody. Uh, Mia Hamm hated taking penalties, generally didn't for her teams, uh, even though she was the best player in the world at the time. She had to take one in the Women's World Cup final in 99. Her coach basically made her um, <laughs> and she converted. But it's it's not for everybody. It's very difficult. There is a bit of an art to it. There are mind games that go into it. Uh, Japan didn't handle the moment well. I thought they played really well in this game i'd almost say it was their best game of the tournament they were on the front foot more and if there's a step that is coming for japanese soccer i think it is to move past the defend 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 and be dangerous on the counter and show what they can do in the run of play And, and i thought they did in this game they outplayed croatia for long portions of it didn't have the the goal to take it to two nil they end mm-hmm. up getting hit back on a goal. What a header from Ivan mm-hmm. Perisic, by the way. Somebody who gets overlooked for Croatia all the time. But Perisic, in these moments, he's been involved in 11 goals and 14 World Cup matches. Six goals, four assists. The only player who's done more of that since Perisic debuted at the World Cup is Lionel Messi. <laughs> like, 
Ivan Perisic is such a critical player in these moments. And that header, absolute perfection. Yeah, you're not saving it, are you? And it was the moment that Croatia needed to get back into it. And I think that I do want to talk about Japan, though, again, because I truly believe that, like you said, Jason, it was their best match of the tournament. And they came out all guns blazing. I was watching the game and I couldn't believe how much they were attacking consistently. The crosses they were putting in, there was a couple where they were a matter of inches away from connecting and it was the second goal not getting that second goal and it's the first time you're looking at a game where they didn't score two goals quickly back to back and if they'd have had that today if they'd have had the ability to score and then immediately catch Croatia off guard like they did uh, against Germany and Spain they would have been in a far better position I think. Yeah, they absolutely would have. Um, you, you could see it on the, the players' faces after the game, some of the things that have come out afterwards. Um, I agree with Hajime Moriyasu, the manager for Japan, that I don't think they the, the players succumbed to the pressure. Um, he said the players that took penalties were courageous. He's right there with you. Um, they tried to get to the quarterfinals for the first time. They weren't quite able to get there, but this tournament is a success for Japan to beat Germany, to beat Spain, to win their group. And I think to show that they have a lot of different layers to their game, Japan is a team to watch. And look, we'll talk about it a little bit more in in our next segment as we look ahead to tomorrow. I think this is a tournament where we're seeing other countries outside of the major powerhouses take steps forward. They haven't taken the big step into the quarterfinals yet. But there are a lot of big success stories, whether it's Senegal, whether it's Japan, whether it's South Korea, whether it's the United States, of playing at another level. But that level to go from where they are to where they want to get to is a big, big jump. We'll see if Morocco it can get to that point as they face Spain, Portugal in action as well. Break down all of that in three minutes on Atlanta soccer tonight on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. It's soccer. Soccer. On the world stage. And Jason Longshore has it all covered with Atlanta Soccer Tonight. On Sports Radio 92.9, the game. Welcome back, Atlanta Soccer Tonight, live on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app. Make sure you're subscribed to the Off the Woodwork folder for your podcast, either on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. That's where you can listen to the shows on demand, hear all of our interviews as well. There's a bunch in there from earlier in the tournament, more to come. But that's how you keep up with all of our soccer content here on 92.9 The Game. we got two more round of 16 games to preview, Jess. Let's start it out with Morocco and Spain. We kind of talked about teams trying to make that next jump into the kind of elite class. Morocco is trying to get to that point. They've only been here once before, 1986. Spain has won this tournament before. But Spain also got a rude awakening in their last group stage game. How do you feel Spain bounces back? I think it's going to be a really tough game. For the Spanish, honestly, I really do. I think Morocco has demonstrated throughout the tournament that they have a lot of resilience, that they're able to handle very good attack, but they're also able to finish opportunities when they've been given them. They are the pride of Africa right now, the last opportunity for Africa to keep progressing in this tournament. And I think that 
We already know that this is a tense game between the Spanish and the Moroccans. There's a lot of history in this one as well. A lot of, you know, political and geographical and all of that stuff. So it's going to be a loaded game in terms of emotion as well. Uh, let's be honest, Spain has the quality, the individual quality of they're able to show it, but they've kind of trailed off after that cracking start. When we all saw that 7-0 win, the way that they were playing, the incredible chemistry, the midfield magic, the, dynam the dynamatic way they were playing, it was an eye-opener, right? But I just feel like maybe that was the peak and then we haven't quite seen them reach the same level since. So it depends on which Spanish side shows up, I think with how the game can go tomorrow. I thought they were really good against Germany. Um, that was a tough game. That was the best the Germans played in the tournament. Mm -hmm. I think Germany struggled to to have that same level against their other opponents. But I, I think Spain does have to get to another place. And, and they kind of went through this in the Euros as well, where they were very good, but it felt like it was missing something. They got deep into the tournament. Really, what they've been missing over the, the last couple of tournaments is goals. And Alvaro Morata becomes key in this one. He's had a good tournament. I think he's done well. He's been consistent. He's scored in each of his games so far. He's only played 126 minutes. Um, he's got to get on the board and got to provide a presence here because Morocco has two world-class players, two players who could play in the Spanish team, no problem. Hakim Zayic and Ashraf Hakimi. These are two guys who can play at any level you want. Zayic, we know what he can do on the counter. He can be the one who breaks out. He carries the ball forward, flips the field on teams. Hakimi has maybe been their best player in the tournament. He's a right back, but he's second in the team in chances created. He's leading the team in tackles and interceptions, bombing up and down the right side. And look, if, if you're looking at the Spanish team and you're looking for a weakness in them, I think it's on their left side. They had an injury coming into the tournament. They've had to kind of figure things out on that side in the back. And when you get Hakimi running forward at that side, I think Morocco can find some success in this. It's a favorable matchup. Like you say, it's always interesting when the strength of one side in the underdog falls on the weakness of the favorite in the game because it really turns the match on its head a little bit. I think it's going to be really interesting if Morocco is able to get the first goal, if Spain have to chase, if Spain have to yep. feel uncomfortable again, if they're having to be put in a position because we know Morocco defensively can be very compact, very organized, very difficult to break down. If Morocco is able to not be defending a nil-nil, but defending a one-nil lead, things could get really, really tough for the Spanish in this one. I love to hear a young player like Gavi, though, stick to what the game plan is stick to the team's principles stick to the team's identity you know everybody always asks spain when they don't have a result go their way it's like oh well you're going to change the way you play right spain's never going to do that luis enrique probably on twitch right now talking to people he's been doing twitch <laughs> that's a competition jason that's Seriously. why we <laughs> he's been on twitch the whole tournament uh, i think his his twitch appearance actually wrapped up earlier uh, he says he's not going to do it after the tournament. He's only doing this during the tournament, maybe to calm his own mind. I don't know. But he said it consistently. And Gavi, one of the young stars of the game, he says, we're going to look for it by being faithful to what we've been doing all these years. It would be a mistake to give up everything we believe in. That's how serious this team is about the way that they play. And this isn't new. This has been going on for decades now really since the, the Barcelona revolution with Pep Guardiola and all of those players coming through and Spain started winning the Euros and, and winning a World Cup in 2010. This is how they play. And I think when we get into this conversation with whatever club team you, you follow, uh, whether it's Atlanta United, anybody in MLS, Charlotte, any team in the world about this, you know, oh, well, you got to change and play differently now. <laughs> it's not that simple when you have an identifiable style. And personally, I don't think you win if you don't have an identifiable style. No, no, I don't think the players understand or enjoy their soccer either. I think having a blueprint, at least 
boundaries, at least guidelines, helps players thrive as well because they know what's expected of them. They know, you know, the pieces together. They know what they're doing when they're being successful. I do think there should be a little bit of fluidity, obviously, and little adjustments. But of you course. shouldn't go from playing one way to flipping it 180 degrees. It just doesn't work like that. A lot of the times when teams try to do that, it ends up having the reverse effect because everyone's clueless. Nobody knows their duties. You haven't developed your players in a way to play that formation, to play that style, and everyone looks lost. So I completely understand. I do think the Spanish shouldn't change the way they play. They just may have to be more clinical and you know more high pressure in these moments because you don't know how many opportunities you're going to get. Yeah, you you can tweak tactics. Tactics and style, tactics and philosophy, not the same thing. You can tweak tactics. You can tweak the formation. You can tweak the pieces in the formation moving around a little bit. You can tweak a, a specific game plan to deal with an opponent. But your identity has to stay the same. I think for national teams, that's a big key. You want to bring this back to the U.S.? I think what Greg Berhalter did is he started down the line of creating an identity that the U.S. has never had, never had. There's not a way, like if, if I was to describe to you how the U.S. has played in their history, I, I, don't, I don't have an answer for you. I, I don't because they haven't had it. And there's some teams that, that don't. I, I think Gareth Southgate has started to really define the style maybe a little bit more as England kind of got lost from a style for a while. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's it, it, the game changes and evolves and styles change and evolve, but you have to have something to fall back on an identity. I already mentioned Luis Enrique giving his players homework after getting knocked out of the Euros on penalties. He wanted them to take at least a thousand penalties before they got here. Um, he said, if you wait until getting here to practice penalties, it won't be enough. You know, he said it's increasingly less luck. Trauma, hasn't he? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, he said it's he, he said it's trainable. It's manageable. How you manage the tension. He said it's increasingly less luck. The goalkeepers have more influence. He said we have a very good goalkeeper. Any of the three mm -hmm. can do very well in a situation. You have to have that belief, but I think you do have to have that experience in just taking them. It's like a golfer who goes to the driving range and you're hitting the same shot over and over again. Is it the same as when you're in a tournament? No, it's not because there's not, you know, thousands of dollars on the line, but it is that muscle memory. It is that repetition. It's the placement as well. You can do it with your eyes closed at that point. Yes. You know where you're going to put it. You know the way you're going to run up. You can control all of those things so that when there is the uncontrollable in terms of what the goalkeeper is going to do and how the stadium's going to feel, at least you have control over how am I going to run up? How many steps am I going to take back? How am I going to place the ball? Which direction am I going to look at? You've got so many things that you can control, which then brings you a little bit of peace in that moment of chaos, you know? I feel like in the last 20 to 30 years, penalties are made about 10% less of the time. Uh, maybe it's just the way people described it. Like when I was a kid, Everybody would say penalties are made 90% of the time. I always remember like nine out of 10 is made. Now it's actually about 78%. I mean, when you look at XG, which is, is measuring the, the potential impact, measuring the, the potential that a goal is scored from, from a play, a penalty is 0.78, you know, and most models, some people do it slightly differently. Goalkeepers do have more influence. I think you have to have that training coming in. Somebody that we know takes penalties and is Pretty clutch in them is Cristiano Ronaldo. But we also know that Cristiano Ronaldo seems to be a lightning rod for controversy these days. <laughs> Two things with old Cristiano coming into Portugal and Switzerland. One, it looks like he's got a deal in place with Al Nasser. Uh, yes, the team that in their entrance video or their introduction video for Pitti Martinez included briefcases of money. Um, they're going to need a whole lot more briefcases if Cristiano Ronaldo is making over $200 million per year over oh a two-and-a-half-year contract. It's yeah. insanity. <laughs> Absolute insanity. So that's one thing going on in old uh, Cristiano's life. The other one is his manager's not very happy with him right now after his manager got the full picture of what happened when Ronaldo was substituted in their last match. Uh, their manager, Fernando Santos, said, have I watched the footage? 
Yes, I didn't like it. Didn't like it at all. From there, it's things you sort out internally. It was sorted out this way, and now we think about the game tomorrow. Everyone is focused on the game. I feel bad for him. I feel bad for his team, for the players in this team outside of Cristiano, because this is the drama that seems to follow all CR7 everywhere. Yeah, it's not good. It's not good that these are the talking points before a game instead of, you know, the typical press conference. He seems to dominate the storylines, the headlines, the just everything about this team. And that's not a good thing. You know, it's not a good thing when you're a player that thinks you have more importance than the coach, that you don't trust the coach's decision. It's not good when you're caught on camera eye rolling and looking completely frustrated. You know, you can't get away with these things. It's absolutely wild that he thinks it's acceptable. And I just think that what's difficult is you can't punish him. You, you you can't. You can't keep him out of the lineup unless you're willing to die on that hill and take a huge risk that it might backfire. But I, I don't know if I would want him in my team. And that's a really difficult balance. I think that, yes, he's a world-class player. Yes, he can do incredible things. But is the reward of these moments of magic at times worth the risk and the negativity that comes into the locker room because of his attitude. I'm not so sure now at this stage of his career, I'm not sure he is completely worthwhile of the divisiveness that he creates within a team. Yeah. I think he was a world-class player. I think he's still a very good player, but I don't think he is worth the trouble. And look, you got to know your, your team. You got to know the the roster. You got to know the players around you um, as to how they're going to handle this. If you're Fernando Santos, I'm very curious to see how it was handled internally if if Ronaldo is in the starting lineup tomorrow. This is the last stuff you need when you're getting ready for a round of 16 match against a team that beat you last time out in Switzerland. Switzerland <laughs> has played them twice this year. Switzerland beat them in their only previous game at a major tournament, Euro 2008. Switzerland are a very solid team i don't think they're spectacular i don't think they're one of the best teams so far in the tournament i think they're very good they've got a couple players who are game changers i think jordan shakiri is one of them we've seen it consistently over the years i think granite shaka is, yep. is one of them his game has been at another level since Mikel arteta took over at, at arsenal and i think the one who doesn't get talked about is briel and bolo i think briel and bolo for me is one of the breakout players yeah. in this tournament yeah, and I think that this is a side that can be very effective and is battle-tested. We talked earlier in a show about teams that have coasted through the tournament that haven't had to do too much hard work. Well, you can't say that about the Swiss. They were battle-tested. They were in a war against Serbia, quite frankly, and they were able to come out the other side. And I think that they have a lot of class on this team. We talk about Shakiri, who is still at his ripe old age, able to bring this team on his back, to create opportunities, to finish opportunities when he's given the chance. You've got a midfielder in Chaka that can really control that area of the field and has composure. And as you mentioned, is in fantastic form. I think this is a tough, tough challenge for Portugal. And when you talk about record and you talk about history, it's going to bring the Swiss a lot of peace that they know that they've taken down this Portuguese side before. They definitely aren't going to go into this one feeling like an underdog they're going to walk into this one feeling very good that they will be able to break down this side jason there are some players in portugal's team that have to step up and get out of the shadow of cristiano ronaldo <laughs> and i think that's really the next step for a bruno fernandez for you know rafael leao i mean there are some great players in this team and they have to get out of his shadow because I think he hurts them more than helps them at this point. And all this off the field stuff, all the this odd things on the field, like the demanding to have that goal, the mic, yeah, mm -hmm. all that stuff is so ridiculous and it's got to be a distraction. We're going to see if the old uh, juice box purveyors out there look at this as a distraction. Count your juice boxes. We'll talk about it in three minutes in our final segment on Atlanta soccer tonight on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app. Get a look back at today's matches with Atlanta Soccer Tonight. On Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Welcome back, Atlanta Soccer Tonight. Final segment as we get ready for the last games in the round of 16. 
tomorrow. And then the first break day of the competition. Jess, I'm seeing like journalists talking about it, people who are in Qatar covering this, kind of hitting the wall in terms of fatigue and and starting to have the days all blend together. Hmm. I, I can kind of relate to that. Yeah, my brain hurts. My eyes hurt a little bit from staring at the screen. I have no regrets, but I'm not going to lie. When we go into 1 a.m. every day of the week, I have no idea what day it is, but we're hanging <laughs> in there, and a day off may well be a blessing, quite frankly. I thought today was Tuesday for most of the day. <laughs> I've been completely out of whack, but it's been a blast doing this show. Uh, thank you to everybody at 92.9 The Game and Odyssey for allowing us to do it. Thank you to everybody who's been listening and downloading the podcasts, which have been increasing throughout the tournament. It's been awesome to see. Let's get you ready for the last games in the round of 16. Morocco and Spain at 10 a.m. tomorrow. Portugal, Switzerland at 2 p.m. The FanDuel Sportsbook folks are not believing in the possible upset from Morocco. Spain is a minus 500 to advance. Morocco is a plus 370. I can't really argue with that, to be honest. No, I, I would love it. You always want an underdog, right? You always want uh, another nation to be represented at a stage where they haven't been. But the quality of Spain is undeniable, right? I think Morocco is going to make it tough. I don't think it's going to be see. a blowout of any case. I think it's going to be a battle. But I think towards the second half, once fatigue uh, kicks in, maybe the game stretches away, maybe a 1-1 for a while that turns into a 3-1 by the end of it. It's kind of where my vibe is feeling right now for the Spanish. I could see that. I think a player, if you're looking at the props on, on FanDuel Sportsbook, a player that jumps out to me, who I think is is looked dangerous throughout most of the tournament for Spain, uh, Danny Olmo. Danny Olmo is a player who has... I think he's been always rumored with moves to clubs and it hasn't quite come off. I think he's going to make that happen after this tournament. He's looked really dangerous in my opinion. Now I tried to uh, put your black current juice boxes on the line uh, yesterday. I came close. thought Japan might win that in extra time. It did go to extra time. There wasn't a winner in extra time. It did go to penalties. If you were expecting Croatia to win on penalties, which if you follow history, it would have been a pretty good pick. You did really well with the juice boxes. <laughs> Portugal, Switzerland. I'm kind of liking one of these numbers. Portugal's a minus 240. Switzerland is a plus 192 to advance. Does that entice you and your blackcurrant juice boxes or any other flavor you might choose tonight? I think it does because I'm telling you, I think there's too much drama in this Portuguese camp and I don't think they've been consistent in the group stages. I think they've had moments where they've looked good and then I think they've had moments where they look very vanilla, very plain, very uh, uninspirational. And I think that Switzerland, as we've said, has been more battle-tested, has faced more challenges and feels like they're going to be up on the fact that they've beaten this team before. I think they're going to come into this one completely fearless and they deserve to do so. And I think they could really create an upset here and Cristiano Ronaldo may have to shed some tears. Yeah, I'm I'm expecting to see a crying Cristiano Ronaldo after this game. And I will even go a step further for you on this. I I think Switzerland advances. I'm not going to get picky on if it goes extra time or not. I actually think it'll be regulation. But I also like the parlay, if you're feeling really frisky, Switzerland to advance and Jordan Shakiri to get on the score sheet with a goal. Yeah, I think the man's going to represent MLS well and... He always looks dangerous, right? He always mm-hmm. looks like he's able to create an opportunity. He's got a dagger of a shot. And I think that he would feel really good about scoring a goal against the Portuguese at this stage as Ooh. well. He might talk some trash too. Actually, he will talk some trash. And Granite Shaka will definitely be there talking trash as well. Uh, let's get caught up on the rumors. I believe in the tabloids, this is the back page. And when we get into the rumors, is that right? Yeah, yeah, it is. The back page sports news. Let's go. Yeah, it kind of fits. You know, it's our last segment. So Jude Bellingham, he has been linked with quite a few moves over the years. It's starting to look like the amount of money that's going to be on the table. Borussia Dortmund won't be able to say no to. Real Madrid have set their limit at 125 million euro. That's as high as they're going to go. Liverpool and Manchester City are also in the running for Mr. Bellingham. 
I hope he goes to Liverpool. Honestly, we've seen a lot of players go to Manchester City and maybe not play as many minutes as they would like. They're spoiled with options. I think he gets into the Liverpool starting lineup and you've already seen the chemistry with Henderson that's building. Mm -hmm. I think Liverpool need him more perhaps than a Man City. And I'm loving right now the pictures coming out of camp though with Henderson not letting Bellingham out of his sight. There's a picture of... Um, yeah. Bellingham with a bunch of Man City players and Henderson's like right on his shoulder, like just not giving him any time to enjoy the company of any of the City boys because he wants to make sure that uh, he heads to Scouse Town. Strike out on your own, Jude. Go to Madrid. Completely go, go in a completely different direction. We'll see. That's going to be one of the stories. I don't think he goes in January. I think it'll be in the summer, but it's going to be for a lot of money. Another player whose stock has risen in this tournament is Denzel Dumfries of the Netherlands, especially after the day he had against the U.S. And he's at a club in Inter who is a little cash-strapped these days. Uh, it'd be hard for them to say no to a sizable offer. 50 million euro looks like the, the number that might work. And Chelsea and Manchester United have been linked with moves for Dumfries. He was brilliant against the U.S. It was really his first big game of the tournament after a great European Championships last time out. It was, but I find it interesting, right? A lot of the times people talk about these big moves after the World Cup. It is a risk, right? It's a it risk is. to bet big money on players that are performing on the world stage for their international team. Because there's a big difference between playing for your international team, playing in tournament soccer versus club soccer. I mean, hey, if I was a player, I would be grabbing every opportunity. I wouldn't care if you're taking a gamble on me, yeah. if you're paying that much money. But I do find it so interesting how this can be a really big time for players and clubs to make big moves, but it doesn't always pay off. Are you going to call this the Hamas Rodriguez effect? Yeah, I, I, let's, let's go with that. I think... <laughs> He hasn't always Sorry. been able to do everything for uh, club versus country, right? There's been a lot of unhappy uh, customers. Since Hamid. 2014, when he was the breakout star of that tournament, he had an amazing month in that tournament. Yeah, he moved around for a lot of money and never quite lived up because to Because people it. are happier. I'm not going to, there's a lot of players that are happier with their international jersey yeah. on. Their, than their club shirt they want to play for their country they feel a different desire they're more at home and it can be difficult for international players to move to big countries if they're from latin america or even for yeah. english players that are moving to a, a country where they don't speak the language it's a harder adjustment and i think that that's a great example that you picked out there i think dumfries has at least a little bit longer track record so mm -hmm. I, I i think he's going to be a good purchase for somebody we'll see who ends up getting him Another player who's had a, a really good tournament and I think has that track record coming in at the club level, who's ready for a jump up, is Anthony Robinson, Jedi from the United States. Newcastle United are reportedly looking at bringing the 25-year-old from Fulham in here soon. And Anthony Robinson, I think, absolutely elevated his, his stock and his presence during this tournament. He had a good tournament for the U.S. He did, and it suits his style of play as well. Very attacking, yep. loves to get forward, bombing up and down. And I think that the hardest thing for Robinson to swallow is going to be the fact that his last impact in terms of the goal conceded maybe was off an error. He's a young guy that needs to kind of dust his shoulders off about that one. But it's always tough as a player when the show tape maybe yep. has that moment in it. He's one of those at 25 that I feel like he's he's got a lot of confidence. I think he can shake that kind of thing off. There's some guys that you worry about things sticking with them. I don't know. Jedi, I'm not really thinking that way. You I don't get a nickname Jedi by being a bit of a warrior, do you? Exactly, exactly. You're, you're going to be pretty uh, pretty confident if you're going to be going around as Jedi. Uh, we've already seen a lot of managers either choose to leave or maybe be pushed out the door after their tournaments come to a conclusion. Now we're seeing a sporting director slash federation head, a higher up, lose their job because of a bad tournament. Oliver Bierhoff in Germany, the sporting director, is out with immediate effect. Um, he was under contract through 2024, the Euros that Germany will host. He is out. I wonder if this means anything for Hansi Flick. I mean, a lot of the time it's the big boys that pick the manager, right? And they're mm -hmm. often connected with each other. So you wonder who they're bringing in. I think that it shows that the Germans aren't satisfied 
with the performance in the World Cup. They shouldn't be, let's be no. honest. Even though they maybe came into this one not in great form, they're still a world power when it comes to a footballing nation and they've underachieved. And with hosting the Euros, like you say, it's kind of like that US perspective of four years for the World Cup. You've got two years now until you're hosting a Euros and you cannot afford to be embarrassed at home in front of your crowd when you're such a passionate soccer nation. And I think that they realize now they can't take that gamble. Something needs to be shaken up, but they got to hope the grass is greener on the other side because who knows who they're going to go with in terms of coaching. Das Reboot 2, Electric Boogaloo, is that what we're looking at here? Um, and, and I will again tell the folks in Liverpool, block all <laughs> numbers coming from Germany. All numbers from Germany, block the number. Don't let them get to your manager, Jurgen Klopp, because I think that's the guy that they want. Uh, we're going to finish with this from getting ready for England and France coming up. And I did not know this as much as I know about the history of the game and dig into to all these kinds of stories. I love this stuff. I did not know this. And it came up today uh, with the media with Gareth Southgate. Southgate has challenged England to make history in this quarterfinal against France. There, it, and I, I'm guessing this is a term you're going to be uh, very familiar with, a hoodoo. There is a hoodoo that needs to be ended that has affected them for 72 years. If they beat France, it will be the first time ever that they have won a knockout game against another so-called big nation outside of England. They've beaten oh. people in, they beat people in 66 big teams. They, they beat, Wembley. Wembley is our safe space. Jason, right? we do right? very it, well in Wembley. <laughs> well, even the rebuilt one, because you had the run to the final in, mm. in the euros and you had the euros in 96. And I, I think there might've been a win outside of Wembley in that tournament, but they've never beaten anybody outside of that area a big team a big team they've beaten big teams in the group stage they have beaten big teams at home but they've never beaten a big team ever it, it's no. i mean 72 years it's ever england didn't play in the first three world cups they played in 1950 they didn't get out of the group stage they lost to uruguay in the knockouts in 54 and it's it's every time I yeah. would have never guessed that. Tell me that, something but, yeah. I don't know, Jason. Tell I did not know something this. I haven't felt before. The pain of know. being an English fan, the pain of the overwhelming excitement, thinking it's going to be our year, followed by the deflation that it's not. Uh, I don't know. I think it's a good thing, though, to be tested by such a big team at this stage. If you're going to make it to a World Cup final, if you're going to win and lift the World Cup, at some point you're going to meet someone that's really good at some point you know, right now it's looking like a Brazil or an Argentina in the final from the other side of the bracket. And let's be honest, you're going to have to beat France if you're going to get there anyway. So uh, I think that Southgate's been a really good manager. Uh, I know he's been divisive. Yes. He hasn't done well in the Nations League, but no one cares about these glorified friendlies. What we care about is the Euros. What we care about is the World Cup. And he's done really well so far. Maybe this is the year, but let's be honest, France are looking really really good it's going to take and i think you described it as what it would have taken to beat brazil today for south korea it's going to take a near perfect performance from england to beat france but with the quality we have in the squad it's the closest we can get right now to being near perfect and if we are who knows anything can happen two things that should make you feel good as you get ready for england and france one england has never lost to france at a world cup Never, ever. Two times in the group stage, mind you, 66 and in 82. Never hey, 66, lost to France. Uh, 66. <laughs> ah, that was a special one. Also, you mentioned Southgate. And I think this is important because he's the second best England manager. And you could even argue on the basis of some numbers that he's the best. He doesn't have the World Cup to his name. But from 68 to 2016, England won six knockout games in tournaments. Uh, they beat Paraguay, they beat Cameroon, they beat Belgium, they beat Denmark, they beat Ecuador, and they beat Spain at Euro 96. Since Southgate took over, they've equaled that number. They've beaten Colombia, they've beaten Sweden, they've beaten Germany, Ukraine, Denmark, and Senegal. Southgate has them going in the right direction, and I think that midfield can give France some problems. Yeah, I do. And I think the belief is there. 
within the players, not even, you know, we talk about England and belief at home and, you know, the overexcitement and the it's coming home and the ambition of the English population. But I think that this year it feels like the belief is in the locker room, which is where you really need the belief to be. And there, there are a bunch of guys that seem to be growing together. So who knows? We're going to get into a deeper dig, I'm sure, nearer the time, but I'm still very nervous. I will not have any nails left by the time I've bitten through them. We definitely will be getting deeper into this one, but we're back tomorrow night to recap what happens with Spain and Morocco and Portugal and Switzerland. I really like the Swiss to be the one upset special in the round of 16 because we haven't had one yet. We haven't we had need, an upset. We need one. This is a tournament that has had a lot of upsets in the group stage, but we always get to this point where those so-called big countries, those big teams, win and advance we're at that point right now could have some incredible quarterfinals coming up we'll find out what the last matchup is tomorrow we'll be back live tomorrow night to recap all of it make sure you subscribe to off the woodwork on the odyssey app or your favorite podcatcher you can always listen to the show on demand thanks for hanging out with us on a monday night adios everybody okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews, or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 